Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Hello and welcome back once again to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. I am Megan. And I am Lauren, of course. Yeah, welcome. As per How usual. are you guys doing? As per usual, it's just the two of us. Yep. Ye- Today we're going to talk about something pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. Before we jump in, did we have any new new peeps that we need to give shout outs to? Or no. Any housekeeping? Uh, not that I can think of. I think it's been a pretty slow, slow front, which is totally fine. Not much new going on. Yeah, not a bad thing. If you are new yeah. here, welcome. Um, yeah. We are two licensed therapists who are talking about spooky things and also proving that some things are not as spooky as the media portrays them. So we do a little bit of both. Occasionally we're busting myths. Mythbusters. Much, much like the Mythbusters. We should um, be that for Halloween one year. Yes, 100%. Do you want to be Adam or Jamie? Who is the bald one? <laughs> I don't remember. I want to be him. Okay, perfect. I'll get a bald cap for the little hair that I have. I think it will be easier for you to get a bald cap than me to get a bald cap, so this seems like the right choice. Alternatively, we could be um, some of the, like, assistants, and Benny could be the bald one. How is he doing on hair? It's coming in. It's getting real. It's, It's a little, you know... He's got that big, big noggin, um, so there are some spots that you could still see a scalp, but um, it's long, and he has, like, a natural oh. mohawk. It's very funny. That is very cute. Yeah. That is. I do love babies' hair growth patterns. They're just kind of funny watching him slowly grow in. As do I. It's my favorite. There is a period of time he lost, like, the front part of his hair like probably a month or two after he was born and he looked Mm -hmm. like a little like balding man yes i like uncle june like from the sopranos very nice i do Mm -hmm. i do like bald baby face as do i Mm -hmm. yes oh right so today's topic i'm just going to uh Shout out, today's topic was inspired by a YouTube video by Sophia Nygaard, so on the off chance Sophia's a fan, what up girl? Reach out to me. You're you're cool. Who is Sophia Uh, Nygaard? Sophia Nygaard, she is a YouTuber. She used to be on BuzzFeed and then went out on her own. She usually does, um, like, weird makeup science or, like, other stuff. So, like, she once did a video where she bought, like, every lipstick at Sephora and melted them all down and mixed them together and made that into lipstick to come up with, like, the absolute average lipstick color at Sephora. So she does a lot of stuff like that. So she calls it, like, Franken-makeup experiments. I like it. Uh, So, but she did an episode just on uh, this topic, which is consumer psychology and marketing society psychology aka how you're being manipulated literally every single day of your life yep um if you remember lauren this uh this is always brought up in like psych 101 classes or also in sociology 
The day that your professor feels like having a spirited debate on if we actually, as human beings, have free will or not. Mm -hmm. This is a hotly contested topic. Lauren, you have any opinions on free will you'd like to share? You know, I I think we definitely get manipulated all the time, but, you know, I'd like to think for a good chunk of our lives we have free will. Yeah, I think you have free will to a point. Yeah. I think sometimes we think we're making decisions because it's what we want to do, but a lot of times we, we can't ethically separate people from the influence of everything to right. see what kind of choices we would make. So that's more of a philosophical question that gets brought up a lot in classes because your decisions, um, especially as it relates to consumption of products and things that we buy, things that we wear, our personal appearance, all of that is heavily influenced by right. marketing. Exactly, exactly. And we're going to kind of get to the bones of what we mean by that and, and uh, some psychology tactics that are being used and have been used for a while. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to do a uh, deep dive into a couple of things. I definitely learned some new things uh, today. I, I One of the main things that I learned was that the American Psychological Association has a task force on researching advertisements to children and the possible negative impacts of how much children are advertised for. And uh, it gets scary reading some mm-hmm. of the advice on how to market things to children. I believe that a thousand percent. So it is it's interesting. So we will talk kind of all about that. Um, first things first, just to kind of give you some definitions of what consumer psychology actually is. Um, it is a d- division, different, like a subtype of psychology. It's considered a subspecialty of industrial organizational psychology. Um, It's the field of consumer behavior or marketing. So consumer psychologists might study any number of topics, including how consumers choose businesses, products, and services, the thought processes and emotions behind consumer decisions, how environmental variables like family, friends, media, and culture influence buying decisions, what motivates people to choose one product over another, Um, how personal factors and, like, preferences influence buying choices, and, of course, what marketers can do to effectively reach out to their target customers. And so they may focus on market research, marketing messages, or researching buying behaviors. So I think this is interesting because usually... When people think of, like, psychology, you think about people who are like, I want to help ill people. I want to do all of these things. But there are some people who go into psychology, they're like, I want to sell so much shit to people. Like, I want to figure out how to get everyone to buy Fanta. That's right. Right. So, these things stick with us, but that is a whole field of psychology. I didn't know that much about I mean, I knew it existed, but I yeah. didn't, like, know a lot about this. Like, I remember being introduced to, like, I guess sort of this form of psychology, IO psychology, um, when we were in our lab. I know there was another lab that focused on IO, but I don't even know, like, what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. So we did have an IO psychology kind of, like, sub 
department at NIU. I know one yeah. of my professors was an IO psych major. So yeah, I mean, or not major because it was grad school, but like that was kind of his concentration. So we definitely had it. Um, clinical psychology people and the, I think amongst a lot of people there with industrial organizational and like consumer psychology, I think a lot of people do perceive it as more of like a sinister version of mm. psychology just because a lot of it is geared towards commercialism is geared towards like corporations and all of that I like to preface that even though I joke about it I don't think every single person who is involved in this is necessarily individually evil it's just not something I personally would feel comfortable totally. doing myself totally yeah so I mean something just to kind of go along with that uh, string of thought that's important to understand when trying to kind of conceptualize all of this is something you know that's talked about all the time in like psych 101 classes but it is definitely used um, when it comes to this type of psychology and it's the um, what's known as Maslow's hierarchy of needs by ma- made by Abraham Maslow uh, so- sorry I just have to interrupt have you ever seen um there's lots of people will meme the hierarchy of needs, um, mm-hmm. and there's a social work hierarchy of needs that somebody made that, like, the base level is cardigans, and yes. the self-actualization level is actually being Brene Brown. Yes. I'm like, she's the only one of us that self-actualized. I don't, I love the higher, it, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll find some of the good ones and put them on the uh, Facebook Please page. Do. There are some genuinely funny memed Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I've seen a Maslow's hierarchy of sandwiches before that was also pretty funny. So you may have seen some quality memes on this at some point. I hope so. I hope that for all of you. That you've seen some quality memes. This is what we would like most of all for all of you. (laughs) So yeah, so this is a hierarchy of needs. So this dude, Abraham Maslow, um, basically was studying what motivates people. um, And this helps kind of explain motivational theory and psychology. And it's made of a five-tier model of human needs. So it looks like a pyramid and it again just helps us understand human motivation so on the bottom are you know those primary needs so those are physiological needs so those might be things like air water food shelter sleep clothing reproduction you know these are things that we need every day or almost every day um, Uh to keep us going and definitely highly motivates people to do things safety is the next one So there's Uh personal security, employment, resources, health, and property. Uh The next level is love and belonging. So friendship, intimacy, family, sense of connection. On top of that is esteem. So respect, self-esteem, status, recognition, strength, freedom. And the last one, also known as Brene Brown, is (laughs) is self-actualization. So it's desired to become the most that one can be. So right, we cannot self. verify that Brene Brown does is self-actualized. I think it's always like she is the most social worker a social worker could possibly be. True. She's very social worky. She is. She is. So. Yes. So, so that's the pyramid. And the thought behind it is most people are going to be extremely motivated 
um, about those physiological and safety needs. You know, that definitely mm-hmm. appeals to most people. Yes. Yes, that will also tie in uh, in a little bit. I'm going to talk about panic buying, how that happens. Nice little COVID throwback. And the hierarchy of needs is very prevalent in panic buying behaviors. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <sighs> okay. Um, so another important piece to understand is something called behavioral economics. So much of what people purchase um, for example, like food, shelter, medical care is necessary for their health mm-hmm. and security. But what compels someone to buy things that aren't necessary, like an iPhone or high-heeled shoes, when we look at this, we're looking at behavioral economics. So it's an understanding mm-hmm. of human psychology to account for the people deviate who deviate and why they deviate from rational action when they're making choices because mm-hmm. you know i'm sure we all recognize it's not the most rational thing to have high-heeled shoes so why do we buy them yes behavioral economic economists marketing professionals and psychologists have concluded that extraneous purchases may be driven by so here are some main reasons Excellent. Um, to display one's social status in response to an emotion. So typically the emotions tied to it are sadness and boredom. And believing the thought that they're getting a good deal. So the unneeded item seems especially affordable for one reason or another. And it's being portrayed as being in limited supply. Mm-hmm. That was... um. Since it recently happened, this is something that happens a lot with Amazon Prime Day from Amazon shoppers, where Amazon and a lot of companies will do this in sales, but they'll actually increase the original price and then put an even lower and put like a regular price as the sales price. So you think you're getting a really good deal, which makes Mm. you want to jump on it. But if you do some research, you might be like, oh, it's like $1 less than it normally is. Like it's not that much savings. Yeah, but people will go crazy for that. Hmm? You know, they definitely understand that part of psychology all right um something else that's important to understand when it comes to business and marketing are some common ways that marketing um might influence people using common things in psychology so the first one that i think a lot of us are pretty familiar with is the idea of classical conditioning um, so this is a type of learning that happens unconsciously. So when you learn through classical conditioning, an automatic conditioned response is paired with a specific stimulus that creates a behavior. Mm-hmm. So when people in marketing utilize this, they're basically training consumers to associate a product with certain cues through repeated exposure um, or creating a scarcity mindset. So, you know, this will only happen for a limited time or limited quant- quantities. Mm-hmm. Or employing the principle of social proof to imply that everyone is buying a product, so you should too. Um, a common classical conditioning one is, uh, you know, the, the phrase, I'm loving it with McDonald's. You know, when we Mm -hmm. hear the phrase, I'm loving it, you usually think McDonald's because it's been paired so many times. Mm -hmm. Um, Then there's uh, something called heuristics. So heuristics Mm -hmm. are mental shortcuts that allows people to solve problems and make judgments quickly and efficiently. 
So there's, there's a few that are used. Um, one is the framing effect. So framing is the idea that we see things differently depending on how they are presented. So for example, mm -hmm. if you see an expensive car next to a slightly less expensive, but still overpriced car, the cheaper car seems like a steal. But what's happening is you're being deceived by the framing. We buy into the illusion that there is a discount and are actually being duped into thinking that we can come out ahead uh, because mm -hmm. it is framed in that certain way. Uh, another one that's very common is anchoring bias. So this is basically the idea that we rely heavily on initial information in our subsequent decisions. Um, so uh -huh. that initial information is considered to be the anchor. Um, an example of this is if you were to imagine a salesman shows you a price for a new TV and then he tells you he can take $50 off. Anchoring on the original price, you feel like this is a great deal but the initial offering could be $100 overpriced. So even with the discount, you'd still be paying way too much. Mm -hmm. So in the same vein, if we're told we can save a bunch of money by buying a product in bulk, we can become anchored on the concept of saving money and wind up with far more of the product than we actually really need. Yes, definitely. Another one is something called social proof. So this is the idea that we copy the behaviors of others um, and we use the behaviors of others to form the basis of what we should or shouldn't do. So in this theory, um, if people in general make good choices and many people are doing something, then we should do the same. Mm -hmm. However, sometimes we can be led astray when marketers provide a few cherry-picked testimonials or ambiguous claims like a product being the most preferred without providing any context or substantiation. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of how many commercials where they're like, this is America's top this. According to every cell phone network, they are America's top cell phone network on yeah. every commercial. And like, they never explain what that actually means. Like, that's not a helpful phrase. Right. Like, what's the data? What are we looking at? Where is this coming from? Mm hmm. It's it just, like four like, out of five me... dentists. Yeah. And then it, like, reminds me of, like, Elf, where he's like, you guys did it. You made the best cup of coffee. <laughs> yes. That is always funny. Yes. So, yeah, people definitely do this. And, I mean, you know, it's very easy to fall for this as well. Like, especially this day and age, like, when we think about, um, you know, people who put, like, testimonials and reviews on their websites, like, for certain things, like... Yeah, they're obviously going to pick the best testimonials that they receive to put on their website. So just like being mindful of this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it's always so interesting that it really hinges on the idea that people typically make good decisions, which is like, do they though? You don't even know these people. I think everyone can think of like, people they know in real life that you're like ah yes they make terrible purchasing dish choices right like you know that but then you're just like oh this random person online says it's great and it's like you don't know that person like at all you know nothing about this person you have no right. reason to think they have quality opinions on furniture so now i'm gonna okay lauren i, I just want you to picture this i want you to bring yourself back to uh March of 2020. No. March of 2020, right after 
after right after wedding. my wedding. <laughs> after the wedding, right? You remember the Monday after where things had really hit the fan. Schools were shut down in Illinois and you could not buy toilet paper. That's right. For the life of you. Did you panic buy toilet paper? We did not, but we also came very close to not having any. <laughs> we had mm-hmm. to go to my in-laws house and and get some that they bought. Um, but uh-huh. I also remember going to the store and there being like no bread, which made me cry. <laughs> yes, yes. It was such an interesting time uh, with COVID and panic buying. So we're starting to research this. So I thought it would kind of be fun to talk about because obviously shortages of products definitely do happen, right? Like we recently had the formula shortage, which was largely because a huge plant got shut down down temporarily and then everyone else was trying to buy formula it was a big mess and people didn't get formula right in that case there was a concrete reason why Mm -hmm. people were having a hard time finding formula right versus with covid there was plenty of toilet paper and i think the fact that people went toilet paper was so interesting because it was like what do you think is going to happen right that was such an interesting one. Um, I understand. I guess some people use uh, more toilet paper than other people. I don't know. I don't know your life. I don't know your business. But I felt it was very, very weird how that happened. And that was like such a big thing. Maybe I'm more practical. I'm like, I guess if you run out, you're just going to take a lot of showers. If you have running water, like you're, right. you, you will be fine. Right. But it was interesting because all of a sudden it was off the shelf. I know my, uh, my mom and my stepdad ended up ordering literally like a thousand rolls of toilet paper from an office supply company. So they really? still to this day have this giant pot. And it was Scott, which is the worst toilet that paper. It is the worst. And so they keep giving us rolls of Scott toilet paper at every hall. keep getting random toilet paper right because it's so weird but in that case right people started to panic they started to buy toilet paper that created a shortage of toilet paper which made people panic which made people buy more toilet paper and then people who did not panic buy their toilet paper like lauren ended up almost running out of it uh we were able to get like a single package and that was good for us until stuff got back on the shelves because we had already kind of kept under not even stocked up just like a normal Normal. amount of backup toilet paper it's like all all the people who just like just buy a pretty typical amount ran out so it was a fun time for everyone yeah so We're going to talk a little bit about some of the psychological factors for why panic buying does happen, particularly with things that don't logically make sense. So human beings have two ways of thinking. We have two different levels of decisions, right? Individual decisions are kind of best understood as interactions between the logical brain and the emotional brain. So they're completely different. The logical brain weighs the pros and cons, looks at the evidence, tries to sort through it. The emotional brain is intuitive and mostly automatic, right? We don't always know exactly what the emotional brain is thinking. We're just kind of aware of the effects of it. So the logical mind is like, nah, I don't, I have my normal amount of backup toilet paper. I have plenty, like it's gonna be fine. Emotional mind is like, But what if something Mm -hmm. happens? Let's buy more and better be safe than sorry. Since our emotional mind is really attuned to visual imagery when we're seeing these, you know, 
news articles, these videos of people buying all of this toilet paper, our emotional brain starts to panic and is like, Mm -hmm. no, we need this. And that can kind of overpower the logical ones. So we end up buying it. There's anticipatory anxiety. Um, So anticipatory anxiety is the fear and dread you experience before the event, right? I think, right, if you go back to March of 2020, everyone was really anxious about this weird possibility of what a pandemic actually meant. Things Mm -hmm. were, for a lot of people, not quite that bad yet, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe not immediately dangerous, Um, I think at that point, a lot of people didn't even know anyone that had had COVID. So it was like this vague thing, but the vagueness of it can make you increasingly anxious. And so if you're increasingly anxious, you want to do something about it. And so for a lot of people, buying stuff is a way that they were trying to do something about it to manage the anxiety. There was, you know, fear is kind of contagious. If a lot of people are really afraid, you might feel more afraid too. Same with the herd mentality for panic buying. You know, we are social creatures and we tend to interpret danger based on other people acting like there's danger. If you think about it, if if you're in a busy place and somebody is running screaming from a building, you're probably not going to run towards that building. You're like, that guy, no, I'm I'm out, right? You're just like, oh, there's something wrong. I know this person, but I know something's wrong. Right, like if like if somebody just like looks at you and yells "run," chances are you are automatically just going to start running, right? Yeah. Like your your brain is like that person thinks there's danger, danger done. Let's go, right? So with that, when you're at a store and you're watching all of those people start to do that, your brain is perceiving that something big is happening and you should follow suit. That's that herd mentality. There's, you know, the intolerance of uncertainty, which can be defined as the inability to accept the possibility that a negative outcome might occur, regardless of the probability. Right then, there was so much of that where people didn't really know what was happening. It was a very uncertain time. And a sense of control, like I said earlier, like it's uncertainty, there's, it's uncontrollability. People kind of had to realize that no matter what they did like the virus is here people are getting it you can't really stop it at this point so people will do anything to try to exert some control over their environment and help reassure themselves that they're okay which for a lot of people translated into panic buying a lot of items not just toilet paper so that they could avoid leaving their home for months if necessary um then there's also misinformation and rumors that happen um just the kind of theory one person says well there may theoretically be a problem the second person is like there's probably a problem and they're like there's a problem right that's how our media happens where it can really go quickly with a rumor mill from like this might be bad to like this is the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of humanity that's happening Mm -hmm. right now like the messages just change so quickly which for buying behaviors definitely gets out of control fast i wanted to just break touch briefly on this um because there's been a couple videos about this lauren have you heard of the target effect before no are we no, talking about the, like the store target we are talking about the store like target. How it sucks you in it does i, I like it more about it i like when pe- it, it's the it's the bullseye the bullseye is like it just hypnotizes you i mean a thousand right. percent yes it happens to me all the time 
Yes. So there's a couple things that they note that Target does. Um, the Target effect colloquially refers to the fact that you go to Target for one thing and end up buying a bunch of crap you don't actually need, right? Mm-hmm. It happens to many of us. So with the Target effect specifically, there are a couple things that they do. So number one, there is a Starbucks in mm-hmm. Target usually right when you walk in right it's right tucked there and what having a starbucks near the entrance of a store does is it actually makes you more likely to spend more time in the store because if you are a lover of starbucks and you're like i'm gonna get a beverage right you're now turning this from a regular errand into more of like a leisurely self-care light type thing so if you have a delicious beverage in hand you're more likely to slow down and casually go through everything in order to you know enjoy your beverage spend your time by yourself but if you're spending more time in the store you are definitely going to buy more things unless you have a large amount of self-control and awareness of what's happening right so that's part of it right off the bat um so another thing a lot of companies do this but what is the number that most prices at target end on what number do they end on Mm mm-hmm Nine. Nine, right? They never end on an even dollar amount. Our brains perceive $4.99 as a better deal than $5. We tend to round down with money instead of up. So companies will specifically do that because we think that it's on sale or we think it's a better deal and it will make us more likely to perceive it as a... It's a penny. It's a penny. It's not... It's not a difference, but that is a common tactic where they'll end at like 95 or 99 mm-hmm. because we perceive it as a better deal. Um, there's also the absolutely beautiful, beautiful dollar section at Target, which Ugh. is conveniently right near the register. Yep. Right? It's one of either the first things or last things you view in the store full of things that are a dollar. Okay, so, right, the dollar section is usually not the high quality of things, but they are a dollar or three dollars. And we just, like, people will just pick up things. You're kind of running on your own. And it makes more likely to get them. Another thing you may notice, you know, just in general, these are some general things, but um, you're a mom now, so he's not quite old enough to do this to you yet but have you ever realized that at uh cash registers most of the time there's candy and snacks directly at the eye level of children right toys they always have them low right so kids are more likely to ask their parents um for things and Mm -hmm. you know i think parents i this isn't research this is just kind of my own observation and opinion i'm sure there's research to back it up but i didn't look for it I am fairly certain parent busy parents are more likely to impulse buy their kids something if they're literally on their way out of the store when the kid starts like getting up and acting for asking for it because they're like they're halfway through if they're just trying to get out of the store and I think it makes them more likely. I some companies um, have actually started having special candy free checkout lines or toy free checkout lines that parents can use to avoid that. Um, I've never seen oh. one. I've just heard that they, in some other countries, have them. But I've heard there's a movement for that. Yeah, I don't think I've but ever seen one. But another thing, too, is that 
If you think about it logically, Lauren, I feel like you and I both spend enough time at Target. We've run into each other randomly at Targets enough yes, to we know have. we both have a problem. Um, <laughs> when you think about it logically, does the layout of Target actually make sense? Not really. No. No, right? We're all no. used to it at this point. Why do you think it doesn't make sense? Because, like, they have, like, the makeup by, like, the food. Uh-huh. And then, like, the clothes are kind of, like, in the middle. I don't know. It's just, like, weird. It is weird. So it's it's a very non-intuitive layout, but it's a layout that's really, really common. And that layout is specially designed to make you have to walk all the way around the store oh. um, to get things where it's not easy. If you think about it, even uh, from a Target shoppers out mm-hmm. there, there are like three different departments in Target that will sell, like, home goods, right? There's, like, the furniture Mm -hmm. stuff, right? But if you're buying a piece of furniture, you might need tools. The tools are an entirely separate department that's not even close to the furniture, right? And then the storage stuff, like, storage stuff is not next to the furniture. There's, like, furniture and then, like, sheets and towels and all this other stuff. And then storage stuff... The tools are across there, the hall, and then, like, the cleaning supplies are nowhere near any of this. Like, if you're thinking of this is intuitive, you would think all of that stuff would be close together. But it's specifically designed to make you spend more time in the store. So you have to walk around. You have to see the end caps with the big sails and the bright colors. You have to go past everything because if you are, like, a fairly regular person with a bizarre shopping list that has led you to go to Target. Let's say you need contact lens solution, command strips, and like underwear, right? Those things are literally nowhere near each other. But while you're shopping and seeing things, you're more likely to be like, oh, that reminds me I need this other thing. And then you have to track all the way back to go find it. Things that go together are not always put together. And that's all on purpose. So it is interesting to look at how things are literally designed. Even um, with Target, it's color psychology. Everything is red. It's bright. They're doing a wonderful new design to make them feel like more of a high-end store. Mm -hmm. Um, A thing that I've noticed, though, so I don't know if your Target has the high-end beauty and skincare design thing. it's set up, like, very nicely. Yes, like, it feels like more of, like, an Ulta or a Sephora in there. Uh, Probably something you've never thought about. Isn't it so much harder to actually find things that you're looking for now? Yeah. And there you have to do a couple laps, right? Because if you want to get like a face wash, a face lotion, and mascara of three different brands, those brands are interspersed through this whole design. So you have to keep walking to find everything you need. They actually do purposely make it like hard. So you're going to spend more time there. Mm -hmm. Because if you're walking around, you're more likely to be like, oh, there's a bath bomb. That's only a dollar. I'll get that bath bomb. Like you're gonna or pick I up can't other find stuff as what you go. I want, but now maybe I'll try this other brand. Yeah, yeah. So it is interesting where it's all designed. So those are a couple things. That's how Target gets you. I still love Target. I'm still a sucker. I fully I admit that. But they're, they're cruel. But we have a toxic relationship. We have a toxic relationship. There's a couple more. 
uh, theories that I'm just going to throw out a couple more principles. Um, and I found on a website geared towards marketing entirely with this. So some other principles that they'll use um, in marketing, both in stores and in advertisements. So there's the information gap theory, which posits that when somebody has a gap in knowledge or something they care about, right? If it's a topic that you care about and you feel like you don't know something, you're more likely to take action to find out additional information. So if you think about it with social media marketing, how often do you see a headline that's just like, this is the secret to this. This is how Mm. to do this, where it's specifically being like, oh, you don't know how to do this? Let me tell you. And it's a lot with things like environmental things. Mm -hmm. I see that a lot where it's like the secret to sustainable living. And it's like a sale right for like a pro it's like a brand of soap right or something like it's not even really it's tangentially connected um but they will kind of use that there's also something called the law of least effort okay um which some people call lazy i don't like to describe people as lazy i think we're just very efficient and we will divert to the least energy possible Mm -hmm. so how that looks in marketing people want to take the path to least effort or resistance so people if you're looking for a restaurant or you want to make a reservation or an order you will give up if you can't find it prominently displayed on the landing page Mm -hmm. if you operate a restaurant right you're going to put it the top right corner of every single page so people can find it they're going to specifically design things to make it easy how many times since the pandemic especially with uh restaurants how many times have you completely given up on ordering in a restaurant because you couldn't do it online or couldn't find it quickly oh yeah definitely right it's like if it's intuitive and easy you're more likely to order from that restaurant if you have to call the restaurant millennials are not going to order from you i was gonna say i've definitely noticed that like not only like with myself but other people as well that like if it comes to like you actually have to like call somebody and pick up the phone it's like pulling teeth it's too much effort. We're not about that anymore. So rest, like restaurants will use that marketing technique. It's the least effort. It's making it easy. Similarly, when things have a free trial, right? It's very easy to sign up for the free trial. It's very hard to figure out how to cancel mm-hmm. the free trial. It is specifically why companies will make it difficult to find information on cancellations. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to cancel a gym membership before, but oh that's God. a nightmare, right? Because of the law of least effort. People just aren't likely to put in a bunch of effort. If something's difficult, they're more likely to give up. So they will purposely make it easier to buy things, harder to actually not buy things, harder to cancel things, harder to get them. Um, I remember one time I was trying to quit a gym. I want to say it may have been Planet Fitness, but regardless of who it was, like, I think I had to, like, write, like, a letter. Uh Mm-hmm saying why I was leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Planet Fitness. I canceled a Planet Fitness membership like a year after I stopped going during the pandemic because they weren't charging me for a while and then they started again, but Mm -hmm. I wasn't comfortable going to a gym. Plus, I found a workout app that I really liked. So I was like, whatever. Fuck gyms. I'm not going back at that point. And I had to go in person and like, because they're like, you can write a letter, but the letter had to be like, 
a certain priority mail. Like you had to, you have to do it in a really specific way or you have to go in person. So I had to explain to people during a pandemic in a gym why I wasn't comfortable. And they were giving me shit the whole time. They're like, well, we're not clean enough for you. Ew. And I was like, bro, there, there's, it's too people-y here. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't want to be around. Yeah. Yeah. But they do. They make it so hard because most people are just going to give up entirely right. at some point until that card expires. But they usually, now a lot of gyms, you can't even put it on a card. You literally have to sign up with a bank account. So if your card expires, it doesn't stop. It gets directly out of your bank account because then it's really annoying to stop it. So that one's really big and it's it's so annoying. How manipulative. Everything is manipulative now. So another one is priming. So are you familiar with priming? I believe so. I think it's, it's, this is one we talk about a lot. It's the process of presenting someone with a word or image that oh. prepares them to be more perceptive. Yep to something right so it'll simply be like you prime someone to say yes um it's often called the foot in the door method where you're literally priming people with small asks to prepare them for something bigger that you're going to ask for so if a company is trying to get you to agree to something big right they may start by being like oh can i do you want the free rewards can I sign you up for our email letter, right? Mm-hmm. And then it might be like, oh, you know, so you've already said yes to them once. Then you might get a, you know, if you share this on your social media, you'll be entered into a raffle. And people mm-hmm. are like, okay, that's reasonable. And then they drop a service. It's like, would you pay this amount for this? And you're more likely to say yes because you've repeatedly interacted with this company and you've said yes to them multiple times already. So it is priming you to say yes, which is fascinating. So those are just a couple other ones. Um, and then lastly, I just want to talk a little bit about marketing to children. Yes. Because uh, it's... It's scary, guys. I don't like it. That's spooky um, psychology. Spooky psychology. Why? Let kids be kids. So, talking a bit just about marketing. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about this. So, a lot of this information is going to come from the APA's Task Force on Advertising to Children. So, you know, if you're looking at... Um, they make the comment that town criers were an early form of advertising... Which I'm like, never thought of that, but okay, hot take, loving it, like we're there. So literally, as an industry, advertising really started to take off with mass media, like printing, radio, television. Concerns over targeting children started, you know, pretty early. So the British Parliament actually passed legislation in 1874 to protect children from the efforts of merchants trying to get them to buy stuff and presume debt. So this has been a kind of hot button issue for quite a while with people 
just trying to appeal to children and to advertise directly to them. Um, so the commercial appeals to children directly didn't really become commonplace until widespread television use. And with cable television, which allowed programmers to develop entire channels of child-oriented programming and advertising. So you're able, and then of course with the internet, kids are online now, so there's thousands of child-oriented websites with advertising content. Even if you think about it, right? Kids YouTube, you go on YouTube, you're still getting kid-geared commercials every time you watch a video. Mm-hmm. All the time. So, compounding the growth in channels for this um, and development, there's also something called the privatization of children's media use. So, a recent study found that the majority of U.S. children have televisions in their bedrooms. Many children also have unsupervised access to computers, meaning that with these two things, they're able to view advertising and content in context without parental supervision and without parents really even watching what's going on. If you had to guess, how many commercials do you think children tend to view in a year? In a year? Mm-hmm. A thousand? They're saying uh, that children view more than 40,000 commercials each year on average if you combine all that. So I don't know how they're getting that number exactly. They didn't specify, but that is quite a lot. Um, Yeah. yeah. Advertising to children is a $12 billion a year industry. So there are some problems here. Um, So I'm going to loop back to tell you some actual advice I found on how to market things to children, just in case you're wondering. This is what if you look up stuff for marketers. Using age-appropriate language, current phrases, um, and not talking down to children. Otherwise, they will catch on and you'll lose them. Agreed. Kids don't like it when you talk to them talk down to them so right right they suggest showing children in groups kids want to fit in so if you show kids in a group all enjoying the products they might think it's cool they're they're now encouraging diversity in advertising to children um which i like they literally word this all kids are not the same i don't know why this is a new concept um, <laughs> it children are different. <laughs> but okay glad glad we're catching on to that um you know, kids like colorful things, interesting boxes and shapes. So they'll be like, use interesting packaging, change the shapes. Don't just put things in a boring box. Make it as exciting as possible. Um, being positive and but not preachy. They want kid-friendly characters in the marketing and fun ways to reach kids without giving them lectures. Mm-hmm. Saying that uh, new places are advertising uh, on music channels didn't even think of that but spotify and pandora and advertising on that to get the teen market because of how frequently they stream music some guys suggested what i think is creepy sense they're like cut through the commercials and take your product on the road hit high density venues where you will find kids and teens like malls fairs and schools bring your product to them to try firsthand like, what? if mom and dad see them having fun, then they'll be more likely to purchase it for them over and over again. And then they're saying that, you know, today's age of tweets, right? Kids have a short attention span, so don't even use sentences. Use, like, 140 characters or less. So they're trying to Twitter everything. Wow. Yeah. And then they respond to videos best. So they're saying to create, 
you know, viral marketing videos on social media using Instagram and TikTok, not even doing that. Um, Social media moves fast when you're marketing. Remember that the attention span on most of these platforms is rapid fire, engage fast, answer questions quickly and communicate in real time. So this is the message that they're getting is if you want to get kids, don't go through TV or print ads. They're like literally put them on TikTok and then respond to messages kids send you as quickly as possible. Yeah. Which is just creepy that that's yeah. what they're talking about yeah. right mm-hmm. um so some of the more research that the task force has done specifically on that is they're basically saying that there's information processing tasks that are required for any person to achieve a mature understanding of advertising messages the first is that you have to be able to distinguish between a commercial and non-commercial content so they have to be able to tell that the ads and the program are different this research is showing that even with separation devices like this show will be back after these messages kids under the age of five can rarely differentiate between what is a tv show and what is an ad so they really don't even know the difference um Mm -hmm. as they get to four or five they may start to be able to perceive you know so they're saying yeah below the ages of four to five they can't distinguish after four to five, they begin to be able to distinguish, but it's a categorical distinction between commercials and programming on the basis of perceptual things. Like they might be able to say commercials are shorter or like commercials are funnier. Like they're, they may know they're shorter than it, but they don't really understand what they are. The second essential cognitive task is understanding it is actually being able to understand that a commercial is a persuasive message trying to get you to buy something Mm -hmm. so they're saying based on research most children younger than seven to eight years old are not able to recognize the persuasive intent of commercials so Kids, a lot of times when they're really young, if you think about like commercials that are geared towards toddlers, they're like mini action movies, right? Like they feel more like a regular TV show. And it's because kids that age can't actually tell the difference. So it's just kids in a product. And then it's not until like eight that they can really understand like this is a company trying to persuade you to do something. Research on children's commercial recall and product preferences confirms that advertising achieves its intended effects. So they've basically found that product preference has been shown to occur with as little as a single commercial exposure and strengthens with each repeated exposure. Studies have shown that product preferences affect children's product purchase requests, and those requests do influence purchasing decisions. So your child seeing a single commercial will make them start to perceive that product as better than other products when comparison. That's how quickly it starts. Mm -hmm. Um, And even, you know, there's other things that they have found that essentially, you know, There is harm in this relating to potential harm resulting from exposure. So a variety of studies have found a substantial relationship between children's viewing of tobacco and alcohol ads and positive attitudes towards consumption of products. They find the commercials attractive. If you think of Joe Camel, right, Mm -hmm. or the Budweiser frogs, very kid-friendly. That's true. Right? So they're consequently kids are already having a high brand awareness of those products that they are too young to safely use, even in younger childhood. Um, Similar with like 
a lot of food consumption. There's a lot of commercials with like candy and fast food that are really geared towards geared towards children to help like early on them have a preference for those types of foods. There's also, and this is something I didn't even think about this, but this is weird. Uh, They're talking about the extent and growth of advertising and other marketing activities directly in schools, which is something I totally forgot about. Um, But direct advertising in school classrooms with advertiser-sponsored video or audio programming, Mm -hmm. indirect advertising with corporate-sponsored educational materials, product sale contracts, and school-based corporate-sponsored market research. So this is something where it's literally getting into school. And I thought of a weird example of this. So let me ask you if you remember this. Lauren, did your high school have vending machines? Yes. What soda did they sell? In your high school vending machines? Mm, I want to say they sold Pepsi products. Pepsi products? So did mine, right? Like, I, and the reason I bring that up is like how messed up it is that Lauren and I could pretty quickly recall in our 30s what soda was being marketed to us in high school, where you see it every day. Like, Yes, Mountain yeah. Dew. There's, it's always Pepsi and Mountain Dew, right? So it is interesting because even that, like those tactics and those things like are being used in schools. Like I, st- I even remember being in high school and you see like on vending machines, there's like, or like next to vending machines, there would be posters of like cool kids hanging out at a skate park drinking Pepsi next to yeah. the Pepsi vending machine. Like that kind of stuff was even allowed in schools and still is. And with the use of like technology and more videos and stuff, I'm guessing it's increasing. Right. Definitely. So yeah, I was just a bit on kids and advertising. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, yes. I, I feel like the more we pay attention, the more will notice how kids are actually being targeted. Um, and we just have to be aware of it. I mean, there's nothing we can do to, like, really stop marketing towards kids. And all obviously not all of it is, like, evil. Mm-hmm. But, like, as a parent, I think, you know, just helping your kid understand, okay, is this something that you're truly wanting or does it feel like... Uh, this is like messaging that you're getting or you know right because i mean i've even seen like kids asking for something literally the second a commercial is over like Mm -hmm. they don't really understand what's happening and they're so little and then we grow up thinking this is normal right i was just having a conversation with my husband about my little brother where do you remember mattress giant i don't even know if they're still around anymore no so in this had to be like early 2000s they had this commercial where it was like this jingle and it was like ooh ah ooh ah only a mattress giant ooh ah and so when it came time for like my brother to get like his big boy bed okay what kind of bed do you want and he was like oh i want an ooh ah bed and so we knew like what he was talking about but it's just like Uh it's interesting Yes, I mean, it is. Even, you know, people in the Chicago land area probably strongly remember 5882300 Empire. Right? Uh, like, we, these things, they work even with kids where, like, those types of jingles are catchy. But even with stuff like that, it's like your kids now know uh, where to get carpeting, 
or uh, the Eagle Man Insurance, uh, which I still love those commercials. They are genuinely funny, but it's like those are really appealing to kids. So like even then me and my brother would be joking all the time about Eagle Man and that insurance when it was literally like we were children. We had no business thinking about car insurance, but we're like, oh, get that one. They have good commercials. Like it is weird even for stuff like that. Absolutely. It's it's just interesting. Interesting stuff. Anyway. <laughs> so one thing that I wanted to talk about, um, as always, I have a bone to pick with TikTok. <laughs> like I just yeah. always seem to find stuff where I'm just like, what the heck is going on here? Um, but yes. I just wanted to touch on this for a second because I felt like this really connected with like the topic of today in terms of, you know, marketing and, you know, these psychology tactics kind of encouraging people to buy or buy in to like certain ideas and messages and it can be really hard for people if you don't understand like what's happening in the background um so the thing that i wanted to come up that is all over tiktok that i just wanted to raise awareness about is something called gentle parenting so this is a marketing term this is like yep that's all it is uh... (laughs) It's a hot trend right mm-hmm. now, um, and there are so many trends geared towards moms that I really mm-hmm. think are all just marketing and trying to pressure you because many moms feel a lot of guilt about mm-hmm. not doing enough and not yeah. doing as much. So there's always a new thing that's going to revolutionize your parenting and yeah. make you perfect. Exactly. And and that's the problem that I personally am having with TikTok is when I see these things, you know, I obviously am able to kind of like see through the BS and like scroll past it. But I know a lot of, you know, especially like new moms, you know, are really Mm -hmm. engaging with this stuff and they don't, they don't know how to separate it. And that can be really hard for them. And like you said, it can make you feel bad and feel like you're not doing enough. And, you know, when we really compare it to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, it really hits the bottom when it comes to like safety and like basic needs and necessities um, when it comes to taking care of your kids. So um, in case you don't know what gentle parenting is, so in the past decade, there has been this concept of gentle or respectful parenting. And the foundation of the idea is in being a parent who is emotionally attuned to their child and tries to understand the reasons behind their behavior. There is great Mm -hmm. value in this, but that is not the whole story. Mm -hmm. Um, Children also need their caregivers to set clear limits and boundaries. So, obviously, just by definition of what gentle parenting is. So, let me explain this. So, we have that definition we just shared. The problem that I personally have with it is that there are already strategies and things put in place that are well-researched that is the exact same thing and you can access it for free or you could talk to your therapist about it. It's just more easily available than you could possibly imagine, but it's called different things. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, attachment theory you know, learning, Mm -hmm. like, secure attachment with your child. You could bring that up, like, with your therapist and say, hey, what does secure attachment look like with my child? How do I foster that? Most therapists know about that or at least can give you some, like, resources for it. 
mindful mm-hmm. parenting, how to be mindful, how to be in tune with your kids' needs, how to be in tune with your own needs and self-regulation. I mean, even like the definition that I shared with you, Megan, like, are there other ones that you can think of where it's like, okay, this kind of already exists? I mean, if you're looking at the four major parenting styles that have been heavily researched, like authoritative parenting, where you're emotionally supportive, but also setting boundaries. Um, Even, you know, I took a ton of child development classes and Mm -hmm. a lot of the specific parenting things that you're now seeing marketed as gentle parenting are a lot of like, you know, essentially like um when your child is having a tantrum Mm -hmm. right and not like responding separating them from the situation letting them calm down is essentially what a true timeout's purpose is supposed to be which has been a long-standing thing right timeouts are not punishment in psychological research they're supposed to give your child a chance to regulate their emotions and be removed from the situation that's dysregulating them so that way you can talk through what actually happened like if your kid is you know doing something they're not supposed to be doing like fighting with their sibling right you separate them to get them both to calm down not because it's like necessarily a punishment it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be to regulate from a tense situation so it's not that these are bad things right we want to say we agree that you should be emotionally responsive stay regulated and you should care about your children's feelings right and make sure that you are listening to them that you are letting them express why they're so frustrated so you can problem solve and model how to work through things that's all good Mm -hmm. but a lot of this stuff i mean i was learning about these same techniques in child development classes in high school in my child development class so like this stuff is not new i'm i'm i mean i'm glad we're talking about it more for people who didn't take a lot of the courses on this but even then like i don't remember they're having like set terms for it other than just like good parenting and like appropriate child development right and like you know i say this with like a huge grain of salt like i'm happy that information is getting out there on just how to be a better emotionally regulated parent. I think, you know, mm-hmm. no matter what the fuck we decide to call it, like it's important. It's good. But the problem that I'm having is people buying into this as like it's a separate entity where they need to buy like separate books and classes and courses with these people who don't have credentials really to teach these things. And the resources are actually out there and available and you don't need to spend crazy money in order to get the education about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like people are using gentle parenting as a sales tactic. I've yes. even seen it on Instagram mm-hmm. where you'll see like these cute clips of someone like helping their child through a tantrum. It's like, yeah. great, you're doing a wonderful job. Yeah. Like A plus great job as a therapist. But then it's just like, follow me for more tips. And mm-hmm. then you like go on to their Instagram and they're selling like their PDF booklet yes. and like their video guides and or private even watching coaching. their videos like they're making a profit off of that. Yes. And so it just it gets dicey after a while when it's just like, no, no, you have to do it this way. You have to call it this where it's just like guilting moms who may already be doing very similar practices, but they've never thought about, oh, it's gentle parenting. Right. Or it's this thing. You know, it's just what I do with my kid. You know, it's just how I manage my emotions with my kid. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it's so that's that's the big 
bone I have to pick with it is like how it's being marketed and people are spending all this money because they're trying so hard to be a good parent when they probably already innately are good parents and the information is out there to make them even a better parent. Um, there's a lot of like mom shaming that happens on TikTok. I see it all the time of people just being like, oh, you know, that's that's not gentle parenting or that's not quite it. And it's, you know, why are we policing each other and why are mm-hmm. we not supporting each other? So anyway, so from the research that I've done, it seems like gentle parenting is a means of parenting without shame, blame or punishment. So it is a partnership between parties and both parents and children have a say in this collaborative style. Gentle parenting is as it sounds, it's a softer approach to parenting and parents and caregivers that practice gentle parenting do so by guiding their children with consistent, compassionate boundaries, not a firm hand. So in some cases, this is not all cases, but I have seen videos of this and from the articles I read about this, this was coming up too. Uh, Gentle parenting can be permissive and enabling, Mm -hmm. which could lead to poor behavior. So gentle parenting can be a challenge. Both parents and children may struggle with the lack of discipline and structure, and this approach may not be for everyone. Gentle parenting requires a lot of patience, persistence, practice, and it may be difficult to implement the strategy if you did not grow up this way or if your child is new to this approach. So another thing that I read about was you know, just kind of taking a different perspective of this too, was that a lot of these folks that are marketing gentle parenting are presenting it as if there is just a solitary child and that the mother is only a mother, you know, Mm -hmm. not someone working, not a wife, not a friend, as if there's no other children in the house. And so that makes it even more complicated. So, for example, there was a video where somebody was counseling a mother of a child who hits, but there is no acknowledgement of the little sister's experience being hit. And even though she Mm -hmm. may feel attacked, there is no expectation of her mother being really curious about what's going on inside the girl after she's been hit. So no recognition of the girl, you know, wondering why her brother was hitting her. You know, it, it really focuses on the problem behavior and being curious about it and there really isn't a viewpoint to look at the other children's perspectives and how to be supportive of them or how to be supportive of mom if she's having a hard time too Mm -hmm. because this idea that you know we can as adults can regulate our emotions 24 7 it's just not realistic and the thing is that in these videos it's very curated you know it's showing you the best scenes of their day or where they did like a really good job with it but of course they're not showing you the times where you know they are frustrated or they Mm -hmm. didn't take the time to explain what was going on and it resulted in their kid having a tantrum like you know we're human beings yes and you know i think it also sometimes the marketing and the way these things are being presented It's being presented with the idea that if you just do things this exact way with these exact strategies, then you'll be a perfect parent. Then your kid won't ever act out that these things won't happen. And ignores that parenting is messy and also your kid is an entire human being and like is not going to respond to everything the same way, right? It's a lot of trial and error. And so it's not that the principles are bad. Um, 
even then though i think some people mistake no punishment with no consequences those Mm -hmm. are like different and there are consequences to your actions right natural and effective consequences are something we've talked about in psychology for a long time same with modeling Mm -hmm. right modeling how to calm down modeling has been huge for a long time so it's not that it's bad but it's an unnecessary pressure and it's trying to push people into I think like one size fits all parenting which is just not a feasible option you're gonna freak out and make a mistake and yell at your kid no unless you are the calmest person who has ever lived right and like not even in a mean way but like most parents have yelled stop at their kid right where it's just they just keep doing something and you lose it right And you can apologize and just be like, I should not have yelled at you. I got too angry. That's okay, right? These things happen. It's not that that's how you should aim to do things. But, like, you don't have to do everything perfectly, nor are you going to. You're a human being. Your child or children are all human beings. It's going to get messy sometimes. Yeah. So, I mean, and and a big message that I feel like I want to send to people about this is, you know, I work with tons of people um, with childhood trauma and, you know, all sorts of unhealthy attachments with people, primarily their caregivers. And the one thing that sticks out to me as being reparative and restorative is apologizing, is owning when you mess up. Like, think about it in like your own life. Like, if your parent would have stopped after, let's say they yelled at you or made you feel bad about something and said, you know what? mom is just having a really hard day and I'm so sorry that wasn't okay for me to talk to you that way what a difference Mm -hmm. that would make just knowing that because kids have this natural tendency to think well it must be me I must be doing everything wrong and then they internalize it and then it becomes like these complex things when in reality all you need to do is try to be as consistent as you can and own it when you mess up that's it Mm mm-hmm yeah, yeah, and that that's a huge one. I mean, I think we all have something that we would feel better if our parents just apologized yeah. to us for. Like, just I sorry. always tell people, I work with older people, I'm like, yeah, it's not too late. Like, if you're both still here on this planet, you can you can be 70 and call your, you know, 60, or not 60, like 50-year-old child and be like, hey, so remember when you were five and I, I screamed at you over spilled milk? That was wrong. I'm sorry, right? You can apologize for things. And, you know, of course, we're, we're of course, not advocating for being mean to children or abusing no, children. abuse is but a different like, thing, you know. But every parent does make mistakes sometimes, just like many of us. If you have a romantic partner or have ever had a romantic partner, you've probably accidentally taken a bad day out on them, realized it was unfair, and hopefully apologized and be like, that's my bad. I should not have done that. I should not have talked to you that way. That was entirely my fault, and I'm sorry for it. And for the most part, that that helps a lot. It does. And it's it's important to just respect kids as what they they're tiny people just you know just mm-hmm. saying hey i'm sorry i messed up just like you would do with any other adult just maybe in different words or different explanations and i think that's what's really important to understand is that there are a lot of trends going around you know obviously i'm focusing on gentle parenting in this instance but there's so many different trends that go around and what's important is that you're showing up, you're doing your best. Again, consistency is so important. It makes kids feel safe. If they know a general outline of what their days look like most of the time or, you know, 
that you're going to be in an okay mood most of the time because you're doing what you need to do to take care of yourself. Like consistency is super important. And, Uh you know, boundaries are important. Boundaries make kids feel safe as well. You know, knowing Uh what they can and can't do. Um, Knowing that there's limits. Knowing that, you know, it's not just like a free-for-all. That that stuff is important too. So it's just, it's taking what you need and doing the best with what you can. Yeah, definitely. And mom shaving is shitty, so stop it. Yeah. Also... Just be aware, most things on TikTok are trying to sell you something. Mm-hmm. Most things everywhere are trying to sell you something. If you don't believe me, uh, you know what? Just scroll through your social media and for a couple minutes and just count how many ads show up. Yep. It's alarming once you start paying attention. And even like a lot of these videos from influencers, even if they're like a parenting influencer mm-hmm. or all of these things, they are trying to sell you something. That's why they're doing this. They're making or, money off of it. Right. And they're making money off of the views. I mean, that's their livelihood, you know, yeah. is getting you guys to watch and engage and ask questions. And, and, and that's great. It's just you have to know what it is. Yeah, it's not that they're all bad people, but you just have to be aware that it's a business interaction for Mm -hmm. them. Absolutely. So with that said, there are so many resources related to parenting styles, attachment. If you have a therapist, ask your therapist. You're already paying them. Might as well use their education and experience. Loop it in. Yeah. Yes. Easy peasy. Indeed. So, Lauren... Do you have any good shit you would like to end on? About a month. Benny's going to be one. Already. Already. Isn't that crazy? It is. It is. It is. He is growing very fast. Mm-hmm. Very quickly. He's he's an adorable child. I'll, just, I'll spoil that for our audience. Thank he's pretty you. cute. I'm sure Lauren thinks so, but I can I second that that is factual information uh and i've i for one am excited to uh do some birthday shopping for benny because most of you don't know this about me if you don't know it in real life but i love shopping for baby clothes and little kid clothes i just find it the most fun thing ever so i do too um yeah yeah, yeah. i also have a I have a new nephew coming soon. So once again, we'll be excited. Lots of shopping for baby things in my future for other people's children. And I'm excited for it. Loving the babies. So yeah, so his first birthday is coming up. We're so excited for that. We'll keep you guys posted on, on how he's doing. But so far, this almost full year he's been around, he is doing great. And he's happy and he's healthy and he's super funny. And we just adore him. That's wonderful. Yes. What is your good shit? That's so nice. Uh, my good shit is the television show Dr. Queen Medicine Woman. Ooh. I have been watching it. And I I love it. I just love it. I it's, It is one of those. I did not watch it when it was on uh, because I was two when it first started. Oh, so mm-hmm. a little bit too young for it came out in 93 so a little little too young for that but uh tim got me watching it and took a couple i literally watched part of it took a couple years off and just watched the end so i'm restarting from the beginning just to clarify some plot points but Uh i just there are some shows that are a bit older that i i just love them 
I just love them. They're on the frontier solving medical things. I don't know. I'm just a big fan. I've been watching it. I've been relaxing. It's been very peaceful for me. I love this journey for you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, right, thanks, guys. guys, for learning about the very spooky ways we're all being manipulated all the time. <laughs> don't freak out. Everything's fine. Yeah. Everything is as it has been for quite some time yeah. now. All right, guys. Well, thanks for getting spooky. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.